I refer to uh, Mr. Ryan Smith at church is uh, Stephen. It is. Uh, it's great to be here again at um, at Cumberland and uh, to join you guys in chapel. Uh, it, if you have your Bible, raise it up. All right, and then uh, now turn to John chapter twenty. We're going to be looking at the last couple of verses of chapter 20, John uh, chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Um, anytime, I, rarely, do I, uh, rarely do I get the, uh, the, the joy of being introduced. Normally on Sunday mornings, you know, it's, it's just mine. I get up there, I tell them where to turn, and we're just rock and rolling. So when Stephen, uh, or Mr. Reinsmith, um, I'm, I'm going to completely undercut any and all respect they have for you today. Exactly. See, I've already ruined Mr. Prince or Daniel uh, in the last couple of times I've been here. Now it's your opportunity. It's over. It is over. And this being a Friday, you weren't going to get much respect anyhow. So, um, right? Right, guys? Right? Yes. Um, where was I even going? Oh, so when Mr. Ratsmith says that he was told to say a funny story, immediately my mind in panic starts racing back. Uh, a few years back and thinking, what in the world is he going to say? Thankfully, he didn't really have too much of uh, incriminating evidence against me. However, um, I will, since I was your grammar teacher and literary teacher, I will point out the fact that you uh, incorrectly used me instead of I. And in a series of, of uh, subjects, you refer to yourself first, which you should uh, uh, defer to others and speak to yourself last. Um, I can do that. Uh, John chapter 20, uh, beginning at verse 30. We're going to read verses 30 and 31. Is everyone there? Ready? No? So get in there? Alright, New Testament, fourth book of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'll give you another couple of minutes. Um, in giving you those couple of minutes, I'll share a uh, uh, just a little bit of background of uh, what's kind of going on in my life. Uh, I am pastor of Faith Methodist Church in Marietta, Georgia. Uh, if you're familiar with uh, Due West Road and where all the, the Due West uh, intersections are, we're right over there. We actually meet underneath the bread company. And so there's, on Sunday mornings, they're closed, so that's, that's uh, uh, a joy to us, not having to hear the, uh, the bread machines going. But uh, on Friday mornings, we have a prayer meeting, and I've just come from there. And they're they're hard at it working, and you see so you can hear all the bread machines going and the uh, the enormous uh, uh, mixers mixing up the dough, and uh, so it's pretty interesting context there that uh, that we get to worship in meeting under a bread company and at a, at a pretty busy intersection. Um, it's a it's a joy to uh, be able to pastor that church. And um, if any of you guys are ever looking for a church, uh, if you're ever looking for a place for your family to worship, I know Mr. Ryansmith and Mr. Prince would love to see you yet another day out of the week. So, uh, so join us on Sunday mornings. Um, my wife and I are actually expecting our, uh, our 11th child. I'm kidding about 11th. We do not have 11. We do not have 10. We're not expecting our 11th. Um, that, that'll make uh, how many we're, 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 we're uh, expecting... Um, a little bit easier than for you. We are expecting our fifth child. Uh, we've got we've got one daughter. She's six, and then we've got uh, three boys, and we're expecting our our fourth boy, and uh, we're going to name him Topher. And um, we're excited for him to be joining the family this summer. Um, and so, yeah, my wife is uh, 
she's, she's, she's big pregnant. And uh, it's always an exciting, exciting uh, time in life to be expecting a baby. We're, expe- we're excited to be expecting another one. All right, John chapter 20, hopefully you're there. Verse 30 and then verse 31. <clears throat> and truly... Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Let's pray. Father, as we have gathered this morning in this sanctuary and we've gathered for this chapel service, we thank you for your presence here with us through your Holy Spirit. And we pray that you would bless the reading of the scriptures as we have read this text together. We pray that you would um, speak to us, that you would give us ears to hear, that you would give us eyes to see. Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts and open our minds to what you would say to us this morning and help us to receive it, help us to hear it, and help us to live it. We pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right. I don't know if I'm going to get you guys in trouble with your teachers or with the powers of be here at this school, but um, if you're willing to admit it, will you raise your hand if you have read the books or seen the movies, the Harry Potter series? Don't be afraid. You're not going to get in trouble. You're not going to get in trouble. All right. I'm not going to, I, I'm not going to, uh, to uh, offer any spoiler alerts because I'm not going to spoil what, uh, what happens. Uh, however, if you have seen those movies or if you've read those books, you know that the end of a story can be extremely significant uh, as, you're, as you're trying to understand how the story is developed and you're trying to understand the details and you're trying to understand how it all fits together. That is probably the best example in recent memory that I can think of, uh, of, of the end of the story meaning absolutely everything. We, here in John's Gospel, we get to the end of the story in chapters 20 and 21. 21, he's kind of wrapping everything up. And these last two verses of 20 is where he's getting us to that end of the story. Jesus has suffered. He has died. He was crucified. He's been buried. And three days later, he's been risen from the dead. He is raised up again. The resurrection has occurred, and he has come to visit his disciples. He has appeared to them. And um, you get to these last two verses of chapter 20. And John tells us in these last two verses of that next to last chapter what it's really all about. Um, in the Harry Potter series, if you're just thinking of the timing of the movies, it's not until about 30 minutes or left that you start understanding really what all is going on. And then everything beyond that is kind of all of that being unpacked and unfolding uh, before your eyes. That's kind of what John's doing here. He's, he's getting toward that last chapter, and he's told this story for 20 chapters. You're 20 chapters in. You're, you're, you're up to your eyeballs in John's story. And then he tells you why he's given you this whole account. And he says, Jesus did so many other things. Notice he calls uh, the miracles signs. The other gospel writers might refer to them as miracles or they might just lay the stories out there and you understand these are miraculous things, supernatural things, things that don't happen on a, on a normal everyday basis. 
John tells us that Jesus turns water into wine. He heals, uh, he heals those who are sick. He restores sight to a man who was born blind. All these amazing things. He walks on water. All these things. John gives us seven of them. He raises Lazarus up from the dead after he'd been dead for four days. He'd been in the ground. And, and John says that there were many other signs that Jesus did in the presence of his disciples. But he says these are written for a specific purpose. When John comes to this end of his book, he, he's doing a number of things. One of the things he's doing is he's kind of weaving together this, uh, this big pattern that he's been developing throughout his book. In his book, you have seven signs. You have seven I am statements that Jesus makes about himself where he claims to be the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life, the bread of life. He claims to be the, the, the shepherd, the good shepherd of the sheep, the door that the sheep go in and, in and out of to find pastures for their souls. He refers to himself uh, in these seven, seven different ways, these seven I am statements that are scattered throughout his book. The, the seven uh, signs are scattered throughout his, uh, his gospel record. Uh, there are a lot of stories that come up in, uh, in, in John's gospel. It's, it's, it's interesting. You guys are familiar with his parables, the parable of, of the sower uh, who goes out and he, he, he's spreading seed as he, as he walks the, uh, the path out in the field. Uh, all, all of the different parables, none of them are from John's gospel. John doesn't give us any parables. What he does is he tells us the story of different people's lives that Jesus encountered. You find the story of Nicodemus. Um, one of the most compelling stories in all of the gospel records. And we typically think of Nicodemus as a bad guy. You know, he, he's a Pharisee and he comes to Jesus and he's too afraid to approach Jesus in front of all of his friends and in front of all of his, all of his colleagues. Instead, he goes to Jesus at nighttime when he's by himself and he's alone and he's just asking Jesus some questions and he never really makes a commitment. He never makes a decision to follow Jesus. He's just got questions and he goes to Jesus with those questions. But in John's Gospel, Nicodemus is not just mentioned in chapter 3. He's mentioned later defending Jesus as, as, uh, as his colleagues, the Pharisees, are rising up against Jesus. And they're, they're angry that the people are following him. And, and Jesus is claiming these things about himself. And Nicodemus kind of defends him. And they, 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 they single out Nicodemus. What are, what, are you from Galilee? Are you one of his guys? What, what's going on with you? And Nicodemus kind of backs away. Well, interestingly... Uh, after the, the, the death of Jesus, when Jesus is taken down off the cross, it's Nicodemus who goes with another man and takes Jesus' body and gives him a proper burial. It doesn't tell us anything else about Nicodemus. But Nicodemus is just one example of the stories of these people that Jesus is interacting with. These, these people that Jesus enters into conversation with and, 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 and starts sharing his life with them. And they start opening up their lives to him. So John is coming to, to the end of this big story, the end of this gospel, the end of the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And he's pulling these stories back together. He's pulling these signs and He's telling us the reason he's given the signs. Um, I don't know if you guys have, have gotten into, uh, how far you've gotten into literature and studying different literary devices. But the interesting thing about a sign 
is that it is, it is something specific. A sign is not simply a symbol. A symbol in a story uh, doesn't really have to exist. It's just, kind of a, it's, it's just kind of an image that's out there that represents something. A sign is something that actually takes place in a story that is pointing beyond itself. It kind of works like a symbol, but it, but it really is something that takes place. It really means something. When you're driving down the road, you guys aren't driving yet, but you're riding down, down the road with mom, dad, or older brother and sister, and, you, and you're approaching a stop sign, that sign is there. It's really there. It really is something. It's made of metal. It's painted red. It's got the word stop on it. It's a, what shape, geometric shape is it? An octagon, very good. Make sure you guys are thinking with me. You come upon that sign, and it's really there. It really means something. But, but not only is it there, it's pointing beyond itself. What's it pointing to? Anybody? What? It's pointing. Somebody's over here, but, but they're, not, they're not speaking up. What's it doing? What is that stop sign trying to get you to do? It's trying to get you to stop. So it's it is a sign, it is there. It means it, but but it, it's more than just a piece of metal with a word on it. It is communicating something, and John, that's the reason why John refers to the miracles as signs. He says these are things that really happened, that really took place, that occurred uh, as Jesus lived and, and and walked and moved among among the uh, the people in his. Um, in his sphere of influence. These are things that really did occur, but they're things that point beyond themselves that are trying to communicate something to us. And so John's kind of giving us his thesis here, his statement of purpose. And he tells us also not just his purpose of what he's trying to communicate, but the reason he's trying to, so that there would be some fruit in their lives. He's wrapping up the story of Jesus' life and ministry, His death and resurrection. He's wrapping up the story of the disciples, those, those 12 who had been called to follow Jesus in a very, very close way. One had fallen away. One had denied Jesus. One in John's Gospel, Thomas, had even doubted the resurrection after the resurrection because he himself hadn't seen the risen Lord. But John's bringing these stories to a fitting close. And he says these things are written really for three purposes. He specifically states two of them, but we're going we're gonna to infer one, one other one. The first thing, notice John says uh, in, in verse 31, he says these things are written. There, there could have been countless other things written. There are other things that Jesus did that aren't in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He says, he says that his purpose of giving these signs, his purpose of writing this book, his purpose of sharing the gospel with us is so that we would believe something about Jesus. Specifically, that he is the Christ. That he's God's anointed one. That, that, that word Christ, it's a Greek term and it just means the anointed. It's a translation of the uh, Hebrew term Messiah, which was the anointed one of God, the one that God was sending to rescue His people. The one that God had, 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 uh, had sent into the world, was, was sending into the world to redeem His people. And, and John says that his hope is that by reading his gospel account, 
that we would believe that Jesus is indeed the Christ, that He is God's anointed one, that He has come to save us. And not only that, but that we would believe also that He is the Son of God. He's not just some special man that God set aside to rescue His people. He's not just some leader. He's not just some king, but He is the Son of God. John wants us to understand that, and so he gives us these seven signs. He gives us these different stories of Jesus interacting with people. He gives us these statements that Jesus makes about himself, being the good shepherd, being the, the, uh, the way, the truth, and life, the resurrection and life, and, and being all those things. He gives us that so that we would understand something about who Jesus is. But John doesn't just stop there. What's implied in that is, is, is the, uh, the second thing I want to look at, his second purpose, which is really what we're inferring from what John says. And that is that we would not just mentally believe something about Jesus, but that we would with our whole lives actually believe in him. To believe something about him is a little bit different. In fact, it's quite a bit different than believing in Him in our hearts by faith. You see, one is, is a mental exercise. We look at the facts. We look at the information that's given to us. We look at the story and we decide in our minds whether or not we, we can trust it, whether or not we uh, think it's intelligible, whether or not it makes sense to us, and we can mentally conclude something. And John says that's part of his reason for writing. He wants us to conclude that Jesus is actually the Christ, and that He's the Son of God. But implied in that is that we would come to trust Him and come to know Him. To know something about a person is quite a bit different from knowing that person. I know a lot of things about the President of the United States. I've never met him. I've never Skyped with him. I've never chatted with him on, uh, on Facebook. He doesn't retweet me. I don't know him. I know some things about him. But I don't know him. John wants us to know some things about Jesus so that we can come to know him. That's the purpose of his writing. That's why he's given us this gospel. That's why he's told us about Jesus' life. So that we, with his disciples, can come to trust him. So we can look at the life of Jesus and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my life in His hands. So we can look at the story of Jesus and say, I want my story to be woven into His story. And that's really the, uh, the third reason that John gives us this gospel account. He says, these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, Trust in Him, and that by believing in Him, you might have life in His name. The third reason why, why, um, why John wrote his gospel account is so that we would have life in Jesus' name. A person's name says an awful lot about that person. We speak of somebody having a good name, and what we mean by, by someone having a good name is that people think highly of them. Their character has not been questioned. Uh, you, can, you 
you, you mention the name Ryan Smith and you think, you know what, Stephen's a good guy. He's, he's, he's sharp, he's honest. He might be tough on us, but I can trust him. Because I know his name, I know his character, I know what he's like. We don't like it when people talk bad about our names. Moms and dads don't like it when, when, when son or daughter brings the family name down. We want that name, that character to say something. We want it to be something strong and positive, something dependable. And John says that by believing in Christ, we can have life in the name of Jesus. That because of who Jesus is, because of His character, because of what we know about Him, because of the fact that we can trust Him and we can rely upon Him and we can bank our lives on Him, that we can have life in Him. And John says that the reason he's written this story, the reason he's written this, this narrative of what happened in Jesus' life and what Jesus did as he lived and moved and walked on this earth, what happened as Jesus ministered to the people and as he laid his life down and suffered and bled and died, and what happened because he rose from the dead and appeared to his disciples, that what has happened here has happened so that we can have life. Not just physical life, but He wants to enrich our, our, our physical lives too. He wants us to live a good and happy and joyous life. And He knows the way to make us happy and joyful and good. And John says that by believing in Christ, by believing in Him, by understanding what He's come to do, by seeing and recognizing He's the Christ, that He's the Son of God, and that by believing in Him, we can have life in His name. Because Jesus is able, like He did for Nicodemus, like He did for the Samaritan woman at the well, like He did for the man who was born blind, like He did for the nobleman's son who approaches Jesus on the road and says, Lord, my... You've got to do something. We need a miracle in our family. Like he's done for the stories of, of these people with whom he encounters in John's gospel, that, that Jesus is able to weave our stories into his. He's able to take our lives and meld them into his. He's able to take who we are and share who he is with us. And John says, that's the reason he's written this book. That's the reason these 21 chapters are here. That's the reason we read of the signs and we read of Jesus' statements about himself. That's the reason we read these stories. That's the reason why John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's so that we can have life in him. He wants to weave your story into His. How does that happen? How do we come to believe this about Jesus? How do we come to believe in Him, to trust in Him, and how do we find life in Him? John begins his, um, his Gospel over in chapter 1 with some very interesting things. John's Gospel is very unique among all the four Gospels that you have in the Bible. Um, one of the things that John does in chapter 1, as he's getting, to the, getting right out into the story, is there's a phrase that's repeated 
twice. Called it's it's the the phrase come and see. Really a clause, a couple of verbs. Come and see. You come on and see. And Jesus says it to a couple of disciples who say, Lord, we want to know where you're staying. He said, come on and see. But then another disciple, Philip, says to Nathaniel, Nathaniel's doubting, like, Jesus is from Galilee and you're telling me you think he's the Christ? Why would you think that? And, and Philip says, come and see. John uses those two different stories. He uses also the story of John the Baptist saying, behold, look, see the Lamb of God. He says that twice. Those, those four different things that happen in John's first chapter are drawing us into this story. He's, he's kind of inviting you, come and see. He's inviting me, come and see. So if the question that we have is, well, how can I believe this about Christ? And how can I, even more importantly than believing something about Him, how can I believe in Him? How can I trust Him? And how can I have life in Him? If that's our question, the, the easiest answer that the Scriptures give us are come and see. Come and read. Open up your Bibles. Read what happened. Open up your hearts and minds and, and, and talk with someone about what you're reading. What's going on here? He invites us to come and see. Jesus' invitation to His uh, disciples was very simple. It was kind of, kind of as simple as that. Jesus simply told him, follow me. What does it mean to be a Christian? It means we've heard him say, follow me, and we've actually done it. It means we have heard his voice say, follow me. And like the disciples, we've said, all right, Lord, and we've followed him. John, at the very, very, very end of his gospel account, there in chapter 21, he says, um, he says again, there are many other things that Jesus did. And if all those things were written, all the books on the earth couldn't hold them. But he said, we know that these things are reliable. We know that this book can be trusted. Because he says... The one who, has, who is writing is the one who's seen these things. John's telling us, he says, look, I've heard the voice of Jesus to follow him. I've heard his call in my life to come and see, and I've actually done it. John says, you can trust what I'm saying because I've been there. I've seen him, and I've walked with him. Jesus is calling you, and he's calling me. And he's calling us very simply. He says, follow me. The question we have to evaluate in our own lives is, are we actually doing that? Are we following him? Have we taken this Christian life seriously at all? Do we read the Bible? Do we pray to Jesus? Do we uh, obey him? Do we do those simple things that anyone and everyone could do? Do we do those very basic things and follow Him? John says that if we 
follow him if we come and see then we'll come to believe that Jesus is indeed the Christ that he's the son of God that we'll be able to trust in him and that by trusting in him we will have life in his name uh, bow your heads with me let's pray for a moment